scriptures. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only, let, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge yourself in pulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with his passions and his desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant and make each other angry or be jealous of each other. That is the word of the Lord. So since Easter, we've started um, this season ahead of a lot of transition and in the middle of uh, uncertainty and hard things and fun things and work and rest. Um, and we've been exploring together who we are in light of who Jesus says, I am. Uh, the whole season of Lent went through these statements. And this is kind of a refresher of where we've been together. So Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life. And that means that we are raised also with Christ. I am the gate for the sheep. We are welcomed by Christ. I'm the vine. We are rooted and connected in Christ. I'm the bread of life. We are Christ's body. I am the good shepherd. We are led and fed like sheep. I'm the light of the world. We are Christ's light. And today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are walking in Christ's spirit on this Pentecost Sunday. Um, I kind of think these two series and how they interact with each other, it's kind of the whole work of imagination that is our discipleship, how we're growing in Christ's likeness. That, that, that we're imagining individually and together, how we, are, we have our life together renewed and transformed and transfigured in light of God's life, God's work in Christ by the Spirit. I think it's also fitting that we wrap this up today on Pentecost, which is the church's birthday, as Meg alluded, um, any excuse to buy a Costco birthday cake. Um, because Pentecost, again, another refresher, uh, as Justin read, it's a celebration of a bunch of random people in the same place being graced with the gift of being known by each other and being filled and empowered by God. They, they, they are known by each other even though they can't understand each other. This happened in their difference. Their difference didn't get erased, and it wasn't despite their difference. It happened in their difference. The gift of Pentecost was that they would become extroverted, not extroverts, but that they would be opened out to the other and opened up to God, that they could hear and understand, even though they didn't have much in common apart from what God was doing in their midst, that they... First uh, Peter says, they once were no people, and now they were a people. This is the outpouring, not just of the Spirit, but also the, the consequence of, of how the, the whole of creation rattled and was changed by Jesus' resurrection and by Jesus' ascension, him leaving and gifting his Spirit, that dividing walls are being crushed, new possibilities are being discovered. 
and this isn't a brand new thing in the life of God. I think about the Exodus. I think about the Valley of Dry Bones. I think about all these dead ends that instead of being a dead end, instead of being dead, God is bringing life. God is making a way where there was no way. This way is now open to us, and we must walk in it. That is what Easter is about, and that is what Pentecost is laying forth for us. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that means that we become people on this way, of this truth, in real life. Our spirituality expresses itself as people on the way. Not people who feel like they've arrived, but people who journey well together. I I loved um, all of the testimonies that we've had during the season. The common thread, as I met with someone the other day, was, man, it seems like everyone is just kind of exhausted and kind of weary and kind of traveled and kind of not understanding how in the world that we're supposed to um, experience and encounter God because it just seems so busy and so tired and so long, this journey that we're on. Um, and so I want to I put forth a couple kind of nouns, a couple things we might be in light of Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the first is that, that we are wayfarers, um, that, that, that we are sojourners, travelers, people who link up with companions in the faith on the road. This is why um, the stories of post-resurrection Jesus are so important. Um, Justin, a few weeks ago, shared the story uh, from Luke 24, which is one of my favorite, the, the road to Emmaus, and Jesus uh, meeting his disciples, his friends, um, in a new way, and how they, they were able to, to be met and to meet God on the way, even in their grief, even in their trauma, they were able to have their hearts warmed and their eyes open. They were able to be fed and included in the chosen, blessed, broken, and given logic of this new creation. This happens as we walk with Jesus. Sometimes it happens, like Nicole said, even in times when we're not that aware of Jesus' presence until after the fact. Faith happens on the road. Uh, I kind of have... Um, so just a little, like, uh, inside baseball, like, uh, <laughs> people ask, like, how do you write sermons? Like, how, how does that work? How, do, how does that work throughout your week? And mostly it's just, like, thinking about the sermon for a long time and then, like, oh, shoot, I have to write something down for this sermon, right? And, and every once in a while, God, like, kind of serves up something nice that is somewhat related and doesn't have to be edited out of the, like, million-page manuscript that otherwise would happen on a Sunday. And so this week, uh, I was literally on a walk in the neighborhood. And sometimes I do this. Like, kids go down the bed, and it's like, babe, I need to just walk. I need to move my feet for a minute. And so I was just on this evening walk, um, I actually had my AirPods out for once, and I, I just kept running into neighbors that I knew. And I, I think it was just like not a, not a rainy day and not blazing hot yet, so everyone was out, right? And so just on this short walk, I, I prayed with a neighbor who um, had just taken her friend for like a devastating diagnosis. Um, 
really bad and she was really torn up. I, I didn't go on that walk to do that. I also met um, a week old baby, one of the, Cooper, one of the new Oak folk. Um, I caught up with a really busy single dad. Um, I like kind of vetched and empathized with two separate neighbors about being negatively affected by the house that's being built in my backyard. We just kind of griped together and that was really nice. I also coordinated an egg sale for Noah for her chicken eggs. All of this happened just by walking, by being on the road and having eyes and ears open. Walking in the spirit means movement and it means openness. It means being available for encounter and embrace. It's been said that the best, avail the best ability is availability, and I think that's true as we walk in the Spirit. Mainly just means putting your body and your mind and your heart in a place where you can be found. Putting your mind, your body, and your heart in a place where you can be found, and then showing up again and again and again so that you're, you're becoming familiar with a place and a people, and you are becoming familiar to a place and a people. I think that's more often than not how God works. That has been my experience. That is my testimony. And I think it's, it's, it's not necessarily unique. A lot of this sort of faith happens on the road. This is part of God's story. This is maybe why the prophet Isaiah holds out a vision for, for renewal. And, and the image he uses is uh, that, that God's people who um, have been flushed out of home and who are making their way on the way um, encounter God's healing and God's presence and God's renewal on what he calls God's highway. Um, Isaiah 35 says, the desert and the dry land will be glad. This is good news to them, not their experience. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. They will burst into bloom and rejoice with joy and singing. They will receive the glory of Lebanon, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the Lord's glory, the splendor of God, strengthen weak hands, support unsteady knees, say to those who are panicking, be strong, don't fear. Here's your God coming with vengeance, with divine retribution. God will save you. Eyes of the blind will be opened. Ears of the deaf, deaf will be cleared. Lame will leap like deer. The tongue of the speechless will sing. You can, you can feel the energy in this prophetic proclamation. And it says, a highway will be there. It will be called the holy way. It will be for walking on the way. Even fools won't be lost on it, thank goodness. There won't be any threats on that highway. And the Lord's ransom ones will return and enter Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. Happiness and joy will overwhelm them. Grief and groaning will flee away. This sounds like such good news to us. This, this sort of faith made on the way in which God meets us and provides for us and brings the possibility of joy even when we don't know where it could possibly come from. I, I also think of, of the other side of this and, and, and maybe being on the road feels so threatening to us because it just feels like we've been on the road forever and there's no home. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're in that season or you've been in that season for way too long, that, that the road is, 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 is not necessarily a threat. I think of this um, French philosopher, uh, Jacques Ullul, who says um, uh, about the Bible, 
that the Bible's not a book of answers, but one which poses the huge question to each and all of us together, will you live by faith in God? Uh, that is like, that, that key question, will you live by faith in God, is asked to each one of us, and that is a, that is a road question for us. That is not a destination question for us. That is a traveling on the road question. Will you live by faith in God? Will you live by faith in God as you walk, that God is beside you, before you, behind you, beneath you, and that God is guiding you along the way? Will you walk by faith? It's a, it's a key question for us as we walk in God's Spirit because God's Spirit makes our faith possible in the first place and guides us into all truth. So if we are wayfarers, ones who are not threatened by the road, but who um, learn to walk with Jesus in this dynamic and improvisational way. We're also truth-tellers. That's the second thing. Jesus says, I am the way. He also says, I am the truth. Walking in Christ's spirit who leads us into all truth means that while on the road, uh, while the road is a place to encounter God, it also means that we're not quite there yet. That home is possible, but we're not quite there yet. If we're wayfarers, we're also truth-tellers, and to be a truth-teller in community is to be committed to Jesus' way, which, merely, which rarely maps cleanly on to like, the, the cultural ways du jour. To, to, to walk in Jesus' way in truth also rarely happens very efficiently. This is a slow way. Um, it, I forget the, the author, but there was a book years ago called The Three Mile an Hour God, <laughs> which is the speed of walking, the average speed of walking, not the average speed of my mother's walking, which is a lot faster than that. But this three mile an hour God invites us to walk in this way and live in this truth, and growing in this truth is a process. It's a process because God's truth makes claims on our lives. It's not something we can take or leave, or if we can take it or leave it, or if it doesn't cost us anything, we're probably not doing it right. I have this plaque in my office with this Flannery O'Connor quip, and she says, um, riffing off of a, a, a scripture in John's Gospel, she says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. I think that's probably why at Pentecost the, um, the people looked at the disciples who were hearing and speaking in tongues and they thought they were brunch drunk, you know? And they said, no, it's 9 o'clock. We couldn't possibly be drinking. They knew the truth, and the truth made them so odd that escaping explanations. We've been sold a bill of goods on the idea that we just need to be right and that it's courageous to tell the truth no matter the consequences because that detaches the truth from the way of Jesus which is deeply concerned for the care of others for the unity of the community you, you see their unity is in that word community and and knowing the truth and telling the truth also doesn't run ahead or lag behind others Paul spills so much ink on this in the letters trying to get early Christian communities to understand and to enact this idea the truth is always for others. It is always with others. It doesn't belong to any one of us. The truth is never our possession, but it is always our pursuit. 
Jesus continues by his spirit to reveal the truth to us about ourselves. That's kind of what happens when we confess together. We're being revealed the truth about ourselves. The um, confession like volunteering, you can't do it for someone else. It only works when you do it for yourself, right? Um, God also reveals the truth about God. This is, this is revelation. We, we, we don't just think up the best thing we can think about, and that's who God is. God actually comes to us, arrives to us, reveals himself to us in, in Christ Jesus, who, who lives for us and dies for us and is raised with us. God also reveals the truth about each other. That's, that's how community is possible. That, that, that we come to know the truth about someone over a period of time with God's help. And sometimes uh, we just need to open up space to learn the truth about someone else, not assume that we know everything that you're about before you tell, tell it to me, right? Um, this is, of course, the way of grace. This is good news. So when we begin to encounter the truth, something we need to commit to and come back to over and over again and recast our lives on, we, we get a, a vision cast um, by Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's a vision cast for inclusion, Jews and Gentiles sharing an unprecedented fellowship together. That's what kind of that whole letter is about. And Pastor Paul reminds them, he says, be guided by the Spirit and you won't carry out selfish desires. That got clipped from Gary's reading, but um, <laughs> right after Paul says, walk in the Spirit, and you will bear fruit in the Spirit, right in the middle of there, is, it, he tells all the things that aren't quite working for them. A person's selfish desires that are set against the Spirit, and the Spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. If you are being led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law, he says. So walking in the spirit of truth makes us odd together because the people we're becoming aren't a law unto ourselves. We're not autonomous, but rather we are breathed on by God who makes our life and love together possible. That's what Paul is trying to tell us in this letter. Paul's trying to tell us that God makes it possible for us to love others against our own interest. Makes it possible to live lives that are set apart for God. That's what being holy means. Set apart for God with each other. This is the reason we seek to avoid the, the grocery list of sin that follows. Not because we're trying to be like moral athletes, but because the health and care of the community requires that each of us is becoming the sort of people that are safe for each other, that glorify God with each other, that are open to the Spirit's healing together. It's precisely the things on that list, sexual immorality and selfishness and uh, what Paul calls devouring each other, those are the things that, that are poison for community. Like, community can't grow where that happens. So it, if we're wayfarers, if we're truth-tellers, we're also vivifiers. We're, we're, we're for growing, for life, for cultivating the circumstances where 
healthy, beautiful growth can happen. We are ones made alive by Christ, and we bear fruit, and we give life by the Spirit. Here's where that logic of Galatians 5 comes into play. Because we are learning to live in the truth and become people who are, are allergic to sin. And remember, like, some allergies to sin um, are lifelong battles. Because of these things, we are opened up to this new verdant life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love, um, I, I always, like, have three columns on my default Bible website, like the Greek the uh, common English or whatever, and then the message, because it's always nice to have a paraphrase alongside of those things. And the message says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. He says things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that the basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That's what it means to bear fruit in Christ. So bear with me here. I was like mulling over the, this imagery and, and from this Galatians 5 passage all week, and it feels like Paul is doing one of those famous mixed metaphor things here. He says at the beginning, he says, walk in the spirit. This is mo- mobile language. And then he says, bear fruit. This is rooted language. <laughs> How in the heck can we imagine something like a mobile garden, Right? This is a strange image, on the move, walking in the spirit, but on the way and all the while bearing much fruit. I can tell this row has something smart to say later. I'll check in on that. But I, I really like this, pi- this picture in this season where we're set to change our physical location. After like, cultivating a way of doing and being church that is like, really rooted. Like literally, one of the first things we did, we had a party and we planted a garden. Before we had signage, we had a garden. Maybe the garden was our signage. <laughs> um, but I, I like this picture that somehow we can, we can do both. Uh, we, we, we can walk with Christ's spirit. We can, we can mobilize for God's kingdom, all the while planting deep roots, being deeply rooted, being non-anxious, unthreatened, resilient, unbreakable all the things that you uh, associate with rootedness. And uh, the, the verse that, that came to mind, the, the passage was from Jeremiah, and I know we all know and love that coffee mug verse from Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have from you, declares the Lord, for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. Well, those impactful words are so impactful because they hit Israelites' ears that don't have much hope, which were exhausted, they were displaced, they were in exile. If you go to that passage and you slide your finger up the page a little bit in the chapter, you'll find instructions from God. It says, build houses and settle down, cultivate gardens and eat what they produce, get married and have kids, promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you. 
This is a radical re-envisioning of their vocation. Like, it would probably sound to them like God is asking them to become a mobile garden. Sinking roots into a new place that was not the home they originally had in mind for themselves. But God said, I'll be with you. God said, I will make you fruitful. God said, establish yourself there. Just last week, I found myself trying to explain this, kind of maddeningly trying to explain why this was such a big deal moving to someone who envisions ministry pretty differently. And I said, for a rooted community, we, it feels like we are less threatened by wind and rain than by uprootedness. <laughs> but even in uprootedness, God can bear fruit. God might even become our soil in this season. So Paul entreats, if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. And in so doing, we'll grow in confidence that we are being nourished, that, that we have a harvest, that we have everything we need, that we lack nothing, that, that all of this hard season, nothing is wasted in it, that we are being given the resources we need to cultivate spaces of shared intimacy and desire and hope. I love what comes after Pentecost in the liturgical calendar, and our godly play kids are so good at reminding us of these. They're so like deeply formed in this stuff. Pentecost happens, it's at Red Square, and then there's just all of this green grid, and it is quote-unquote ordinary time. That's the good green growing season. That's when growth happens. That's when the Spirit works in us. And the Spirit works in us in so many hidden and subterranean ways. And then we become fruitful. We have purpose. We live into our calling together, even when we can't see it. So friends, uh, I pray that we um, continue to live into all of these we are's. Uh, the, the whole screen of we are's, every single one of them, but especially in the season that we embrace this calling to be wayfarers, to be truth tellers, to be vivifiers. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. Uh, you are so generous. Um, to us. You give us everything that we need, and um, especially on today, we remember that you give us your spirit, your spirit that breathes new life into us, that gives us refreshment, that opens us out to each other, and especially to you. It opens us out to this beautiful creation that you haven't left and that you are renewing. That opens us up to new life. Lord, fill us today. Uh, that we might walk in the Spirit, that we might know your presence, that we might bear witness to your truth and goodness. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.